Ever have pain or stiffness in your lower back while playing sports? I definitely know I have, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's episode of the At Home PT. I'm Daniel Herring, and welcome to my podcast, The At Home PT, where we're going to talk about physical therapy related to sports at all levels. I'm going to use my decade of experience treating professional, collegiate, and recreational athletes to try to simplify some of the information around different injuries and treatment types. That way, I can give you things that you can do at home today to get you back to playing your sport at a high level as quickly as possible. I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to, t- to today's episode of the At Home PT, where we're going to be discussing low back pain in athletes. Now, if you tried to listen to the episode earlier this week, you'll know that we had some technical difficulties. Um, I actually released an episode where there was no content. Uh, something happened. My microphone did not pick up anything I was saying. So I deleted that episode and we're trying this again. So this time I'll check it before I upload it. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about low back pain in athletes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down into two main types of pain for for, uh, athletes. And then the second segment, as always, will cover myths and half-truths around low back pain, of which there are plenty. And then in our third segment, I'll give you some tips and tricks to do at home to go ahead and start working on this to improve some of your back pain. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started on our first segment where I titled this segment, Why Does Your Back Hurt? And so that's what I really want to dig into here. What I'm going to do for the sake of ease of understanding is we're going to define or break back low back pain into two main categories. Now, this is a bit of an oversimplification because there are plenty of causes of low back pain. But in athletes, I would say that these two make up the vast majority of what I see in the clinic, probably 90% or more. And these are mechanical back pain and radicular back pain. So to get started, let's talk about mechanical back pain. Mechanical back pain is your garden variety pain in your lower back that doesn't go down into your leg or anything like that. There's no numbness. There's no tingling. It's just lower back pain. And typically, It's back pain that you consistently have with the same movements. So that means that every time you bend forward or every time you bend back, or at least almost, you pretty consistently can recreate this back pain, make it pop up again with specific movements. That's important because we need to know where your back pain is coming from. If you can't recreate back pain with movement, that becomes a little little bit worse, almost a little more serious because you have to try to figure out what's actually causing it. With mechanical back pain, we're looking at pain coming from a muscle or a joint more often than not. It can also be a tendon. Um, This this has uh, three main causes. The first would be just your typical sprain and strain. You go out, you play a sport, and you swing a bat a little too hard, or you run a little too fast, you jump a little too high, you know, maybe you're, you're not in great shape or something like that, and you just strain a muscle or you sprain a joint or something like that. Now, tying into that is the other two causes, which will typically lead you to having a a sprain or a strain, which are going to be either stiffness or weakness. The stiffness can be in the lower back, or it can actually be somewhere else 
and it actually causes you to overcompensate and overuse your lower back. A good example of this is me. When I first started playing uh, beach volleyball about eight years ago, um, I would play a little while and I would I started to notice my lower back was tightening up and, and starting to give me a little pain. And about probably a year or two into playing, the pain incrementally got worse and I started to notice severe low back pain and even spasms into my lower back. So being a physical therapist, the first thing I did was I treated the symptoms. I got rid of the pain. I strengthened my core. I did a few things. I got to where I could play again, but I didn't stop there. I dug into it a little more because I wanted to know why was my back hurting. What I realized was my back pain was actually coming from stiff shoulders. See, when I play volleyball, I play hitter, which means my job is to go spike the ball. Well, something I didn't realize until I started digging into my problems was I have stiff shoulders. I have difficulty raising my shoulders all the way straight up overhead. Because of this, every time I would go to hit the volleyball, I would compensate by arching my lower back and doing that repetitively at a really high speed over the course of a couple of years, I started to irritate my back until the point where I had actually debilitating back spasms. So the back, back pain for me was caused primarily by stiffness, but somewhere else. And so there are lots of parts of the body that will commonly put strain on your lower back if they're stiff. Some would be your shoulders, your hips, even your upper mid back, your thoracic spine, and, and many more. So stiffness somewhere can cause a problem. There's also weakness. Typically the weakness is core weakness, but it could also be weakness in say your lateral hips or something like that. If there's weakness somewhere that predisposes you for injury, if it's weakness in the back, it's obviously because the back cannot support itself to do the movements. If it's weakness somewhere else, it may be because your lower back is compensating for that. But you take either the stiffness or the weakness and you combine that with overuse or just high intensity use, and you can quickly begin to develop low back pain. These are all the things that would contribute to a mechanical low back pain. Again, that's pain just in your lower back that does not go over your, does not go down your legs, and there's no numbness and no tingling involved. Okay. The second type of uh, low back pain athletes typically experience is radicular low back pain. So obviously now the difference is this pain radiates down your leg. Now it doesn't have to go all the way down. Sometimes this just goes into your hip or into your buttock area, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it goes all the way down to your foot, even to your big toe. And it doesn't have to be just pain. It can also be numbness or tingling. Basically any unpleasant symptom that starts in your back and radiates down into your leg. There are two main uh, types of radicular back pain. There's somatic and neural. Somatic is pain that comes from a muscle, a tendon, or a joint. Neural is pain that comes from a nerve or a nervous tissue, like there are sheets around your nerves, and irritation of that tissue causes neural pain. So to talk about the difference between those real quick, somatic pain tends to be kind of vague in nature, you know it's going down your leg, but you can't exactly pinpoint right where the pain is. And it tends to be throbby or achy in nature. Somatic pain, I've already talked about that. It's coming from a muscle or a tendon. Neural pain is kind of the opposite of somatic pain. It tends to be very well defined. 
pain runs right down your leg or the symptom goes right down your leg, it's no wider than two centimeters across, and you can put a finger on exactly where it's going. It tends to be hot or burny or sharp in nature. Okay? So that you feel that, you know you're irritating nervous tissue. And there are three main things, three main areas, these radicular symptoms, be them somatic or neural, can come from. The neural comes from mainly two places. The first is what we would call a directional preference. That is people who get their symptoms specifically going one direction, usually either bending forward or bending backward. That's flexion or extension. And their symptoms are also relieved by going the opposite direction. So for instance, the most common directional preference to give pain is a bulging disc. With a bulging disc, you're going to get hot searing pain running down your leg when you go into flexion, which is to say when you bend forward as if to touch your toes. Or if you sit for very long in a chair, that puts you in a flexed position. You will get that sharp pain right down your leg almost instantly. Bulging discs feel better when you go into extension. So if you're leaning backwards or if you lie on your stomach, if you have those symptoms consistently, there's a good chance you have a bulging disc. Now we're going to talk about later in this episode, bulging discs are also one of the more overly diagnosed things in the lower back. And it's just, it's, we see them on imaging. There's different reasons and I'll talk, I'll get into that later. So if somebody just tells you automatically you have pain from a bulging disc, understand that you need, if you have pain from a bulging disc, you will have a directional preference towards flexion causing your pain and extension relieving your pain. Another directional preference uh, place to arise from is a spondylolisthesis. In a spondylolisthesis, one vertebrae, usually it's your lower L4 or L5, are actually slipping forward a little bit on the vertebrae above them. Okay, This happens because the bones that actually kind of connect the vertebrae and hold them in place begin to wear away usually due to overuse at a young age. Gymnastics is a sport where this is extremely common. There's a lot of in-range lumbar extension leading to this. With a spondylolisthesis, you'll have pain, the opposite of a bulging disc, going into extension. So if you lean backwards or if you lie on your stomach, you will get pain usually going down your leg. That pain is often relieved with the opposite, with flexion, so bending forward. Okay? That's kind of the directional preference idea. Another place that instability that uh, neural pain can rise from is an instability. Instability means a joint that is really too flexible. It's hyper flexible without being strong enough to control that flexibility. Joints live on a spectrum. A, there's a, on one end of the spectrum is a joint that is very flexible. On the other end of a spectrum is a joint that is very strong. Ideally, in a healthy joint, they meet right in the middle where they're both flexible and strong. But for some people, their joints are a little stiff and they're very strong. They're very stable. For others, they're hyper-flexible, but they're not very strong or stable. And there's a saying that I heard one time that I really like. And it said, strength without flexibility is pointless, but flexibility without strength is dangerous. And that's what we see with these instabilities. A good sign that you may have a lumbar instability is if you do have a lot of back pain, maybe radiating pain into your legs, and you're very flexible. You've heard the term. You've been called double-jointed throughout your life. If you're standing still with your knees straight and you can bend over and touch your palms to the ground, you are probably instable in your lower back. 
Okay. We're going to get into treatment later, but just know that if you are hyperflexible and you get this pain and it's not consistently with one direction or the other, this may be an instability. And this is pretty common in athletes. Now, the somatic pain is usually coming from what we call referred pain. And that means you have an irritated muscle, tendon, or ligament, usually muscle. And when it gets irritated, you're actually feeling the pain go somewhere else. The reason being some muscles don't have as good sensory innervation, as many sensory nerves as other muscles. And so when they feel strain or damage of some sort, they aren't really capable of producing that feeling in their spot. So they kind of like send those sensations to the nearest muscle that has good sensory innervation, and that's where you feel it. A common one of these for the lower back is when you irritate the muscles on the outside of your hip called your gluteus medius and or your gluteus minimus. When you have those muscles irritated, a common referral pattern is down the side of your leg, down the outside of your thigh to the outside of your calf. If you are getting pain down the outside of your leg and it's not well-defined, it's kind of diffuse, you can't really say exactly where it's at, it aches kind of, kind of a throbby pain, there's a good chance that's a referred pain from the muscles in the side of your hip, okay? So those are the main things that are going to cause radicular pain or pain going down your leg. So to summarize, low back pain in athletes tends to be either mechanical, which is pain that stays in your lower back and is reproducible with certain movements, or radicular, pain that goes down your leg, okay? That's going to be important for later on when we get into treatment. So for now, I'm going to take a quick break. And yes, I do actually take breaks when I say that. Um, it's not so much a break for y'all because I come right back on, but it's a break that's helpful for me to gather my thoughts and rest my voice for a second. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to get into one of my favorite segments, which is myths and half-truths. You're not going to want to miss that, so stick around. All right, guys. Welcome back for the second segment of today's show. This is one of my favorite and definitely my most controversial segment. This is the myths and half-truths. This is where we're going to look at some of the things you've probably heard about low back pain or the treatment of low back pain and talk about which ones aren't either aren't necessarily true or are absolutely false. Okay, so the first one I want to cover is one that we hear a lot in the physical therapy clinic. And if you've ever gone for treatment for your lower back, you may very well have heard as well. That is that your spine is out of alignment. Now, let me just go ahead and not bury the lead and tell you the fact of this. Your spine cannot get out of alignment. It is impossible. Okay? If your spine were out of alignment, you would be paralyzed. That's the facts of it. And the research backs this up. There's been plenty of times where research has been done with x-rays, with MRIs, with different types of professionals, and time and time again, your spine does not get out of alignment. So a couple questions you may be asked, th thinking right now. One is, Daniel, you talked about spondylolisthesis where the vertebrae actually slips forward a little bit. You know what? Yes, that is one of the very few times your spine can ever get out of alignment. However, when we're talking about diagnosing really severe spondylolisthesis, we're talking about two to three millimeters, okay? Very, very short distances. It's not much because there's not a lot of space 
around the spinal cord inside these vertebrae. And if you move that space, it will paralyze you. Okay. You may also be thinking, well, you know what? I went to a chiropractor or a physician and they did an x-ray and they showed me and my, my vertebrae were out of alignment. Well, there's a few reasons for that. One, maybe you weren't laying straight on the table. I know that sounds silly, but that's a common mistake by professionals. All right. There are plenty of things like that that can cause it. You weren't laying, you weren't laying straight on the table or your body was twisted a little bit or something like that. But at the end of the day, there have been mounds of research on this and your spine does not get out of alignment. You may have a little natural scoliosis, but we've come to realize that that is far more common in the population than we think it was. And it is not necessarily a cause for pain. So if you're ever going to a practitioner and they tell you your back hurts because your spine got knocked out of alignment, my recommendation is find a different healthcare practitioner. Go somewhere else because this person either doesn't know the current research, and by current, I'm talking about like the last 20 years, they are incompetent, or they're just trying to use that to sell you on something. And that's the one that I can understand the most, but even still, as healthcare providers, we have a responsibility to educate the public and not continue to propagate things that we just know are patently untrue. So if you're a medical medical professional, please, Stop telling people their spine is out of alignment. If you're going to a medical professional and they tell you your spine is out of alignment, please go to a different medical professional. Okay? The second myth and half-truth is around bulging discs. Now, do bulging discs exist? Absolutely. Do bulging discs cause pain? Absolutely. If you have a bulging disc, does that mean that that is causing your pain? Absolutely not. Okay? There has been research in the last 10 years that shows they, they do MRIs on completely healthy people, 100 healthy people, 50 to 75 of those people are going to have a bulging disc on an MRI, and they have absolutely no symptoms at all. What this tells us is they're normal. People have bulging discs. A bulging disc only really becomes a problem if it's pressing on a nerve. Okay, they do that because most of the time when a disc bulges, it bulges out the back and to the side a little bit. And that's exactly where the nerves come out of your spinal cord and through the vertebrae, through the neural foramen. If that happens and that bulging disc puts pressure on a nerve, then yes, that's the cause of your symptoms. But we talked about those symptoms in segment one. If you don't have searing pain down your leg with sitting down and bending forward, even if you have a bulging disc on an MRI, it's not your problem, okay? It's not the pain generator. It's something else, which leads into a whole other discussion that medical professionals should never make a diagnosis based solely off of imaging. It is only when imaging matches the clinical presentation that we see in our physical exam that clinical imaging actually becomes diagnostic. So please, medical professionals as well, if do not make diagnosis off of imaging, That is a huge mistake because so many of these things that we used to think were pathological every time, we now know aren't, that they're normal in the healthy population, okay? So if you go to a doctor, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, and every time you're there, they just tell you, well, you have a bulging disc. 
and you don't have those symptoms we talked about, again, find a different professional because that's not a bulging disc and they're being lazy. The third myth and half-truth I want to get into is one that is gaining a lot of traction in the PT world right now. And so I'm probably speaking to a lot of my fellow physical therapists on this one. There's a growing belief in the physical therapy community that motor control exercises, such as abdominal bracing and clamshells and some of your easy things where you're laying on a table, really aren't very helpful and that everyone should be lifting heavy weights. Everyone should be squatting and deadlifting. This drives me absolutely nuts. I love squats and deadlifts as much as the next guy. I absolutely use them in my physical therapy programs for low back pain, but at the appropriate time. This all comes from a research paper that came out several years ago where they took people with general back pain, just general back pain, which is mistake number one because they weren't very specific and you treat different types of back pain very differently, but that's another thing. They took people with general back pain. They gave one group motor control exercises, abdominal bracing, clamshells, leg lifts, things like that. They gave the second group heavy lifting, squats, deadlifts, things like that. The result was that both groups got equally better. And what people took this and said, hey, heavy lifting is just as good as motor control exercises. And since it's more functional, that means everyone should do, should do heavy lifting. And then that became motor control exercises are bad. You're wasting your time. It's an antiquated way of thinking if you're doing motor control exercises. And that, in my mind, is absolutely asinine and lazy. It's because heavy lifting is fun and it's cool. And people want to do that so that they can put their patients on Instagram and look like they're ahead of the curve. In reality, the optimal way to treat a patient is that both of these types of exercises have their place. A lot of people come into the clinic and they're having too much pain to do heavy lifting. And if you try to make them heavy lift, you're just going to make them worse and they're not going to come back. They don't know how to fire their core. They don't know how to use their hips. They need motor control exercises where they're laying on a table and doing easy things first and for an appropriate amount of time. Now, I'll also say this. If that's all you ever do and you never get people to lifting actual weights, you're also a part of the problem. Okay? This is not an either or. It's a both and. Both of these are useful and they have to be done at the appropriate time in the plan of care. So if you're a physical therapist and you're out there and you're avoiding all the motor control exercises because you want to do the cool, sexy, heavy lifting exercises, shame on you. Quit being lazy and think about what your patients actually need. And if you're on the opposite of the spectrum where you're only doing motor control exercises because you're afraid heavy lifting exercises are going to hurt your patients, buck up. Learn how to do heavy lifting exercises correctly and get out there and give your patients what they need to get back to actually functioning. Okay? Okay. Rant over. I'm off my soapbox. Now, if you disagree with me, if you have any questions or comments about what I just said, feel free to reach out to me on my email, daniel at theathomept.com. I am absolutely here for the debate. There are some of these that you probably will not change my mind on. And we will just argue over them. But that's okay. That's what we're all here for. We're all here, hopefully, to learn, to grow, to get better. So feel free to reach out. Shoot me an email. And I'm going to take a quick break again. When I come back, we're going to get into the third and final segment of today's show, 
where we're going to talk about treatment for all this low back pain we've been describing. Stick around. Okay, guys, we're back for the third and final segment of today's show where we are finally going to get into some treatment. So what I'm going to do is talk about the different types of back pain, the mechanical and the radicular. We'll talk about principles behind treating these, and then I'm going to give you three exercises that I really like at home that you can do with no to minimal equipment to go ahead and get started getting your back feeling better. So the first type of pain we're going to talk about is mechanical low back pain. Now, if you remember from the first segment, this is pain that is strictly in your back. It does not go down your legs. There's no numbness, no tingling. And you can reproduce this pain fairly consistently with certain movements. Every time you bend forward, it hurts. Every time you rotate, it hurts. Something like that. So the first principle when I get into treating mechanical back pain, or to be honest with you as a therapist, when I get into treating anything, is a principle that I heard from one of my uh, best friend's mentor, Nat Grubbs, and he said, any pain-free movement is quality physical therapy. And I love that. Because at the end of the day, People tend to overthink these things. They tend to, they're looking for the perfect exercise. And because they're looking for the perfect exercise, they never do anything. Okay? If you just start moving in ways that don't hurt, most of this stuff will feel better. So, the first tenet is just pain-free movement. Find it. Do it. Okay? Now, that being said... Things will go more quickly, efficiently, and overall better the more specific we can be. So let's talk a little bit about that. When we talked about mechanical back pain, we talked about there being two main things that predispose you for this. One is going to be stiffness. The other is going to be weakness. Now for the stiffness we talked about, it can really be anywhere. So if you you end up looking at your lumbar range of motion and that looks good, You may want to start looking at other areas. You may want to think about the demand of your sport and start going through, well, how are my shoulders? Can I go through the movements I need to? How's my ankle flexibility? How are my hips? Look at some of these things. And if you can't figure it out, go find a healthcare professional. I'm a physical therapist. I'm always partial to physical therapy. But if you have a good healthcare professional that you've worked with well and seen good results in the past, go see them because that's the most important thing. Whether it's a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a personal trainer, an orthopedic physician. If you have someone that you've seen results with in the past that you like, go see them, okay? That is any time that you can't figure out what's wrong, any time you've been working on this for two or three weeks and it's not getting better, if that's the case, go see a healthcare professional. It's going to be worth your time and worth your money to get on the other side of this pain, okay? So, If we want to break down, first off, is stiffness predisposing us to pain. The first thing we want to do is a quick assessment of our lower back to see what's stiff. So I'm going to give you four quick movements you can do right where you're at right now, unless you're driving. Don't do it if you're driving. But if you're at home, you can do it at home. And it's going to tell you where, what movement you're limited with and give you a pretty good idea whether it's a joint stiffness or a muscle stiffness. Okay, the first thing, we're just going to stand up with our feet together. The first movement you're gonna do is bend forward 
and try to touch your toes. You should probably be able to touch your toes, but if not, be very close to touching your toes without pain. Now, if you either cannot touch your toes or come within an inch or two, or if you have pain while doing this, that's a flexion restriction. You can't go into lumbar flexion, and that's probably a muscle problem because when you bend forward, you open up the joints in your lower back and you stretch the muscles. Opening is easy for joints to do, but the stretching is the hard thing for the muscles. So if you bend forward, try to touch your toes, you either can't or you have pain with that, you have a muscle tightness in your lower back. Now, second movement is going to be lumbar extension. So we're going to come back to our standing position, feet together. You're going to put your hands over your head and reach backward as far as you can. You should be able to reach pretty far back with a good curve in your back. If you look at yourself from the side, maybe the camera have somebody look at you, the front of your hips should go forward past your toes and your shoulder blades should go backwards past your heels. Okay? If you either can't do that or if you have pain while doing it, even if you do make the motion, you have a problem with lumbar extension and that is more than likely a joint issue. When you lean backwards, you shorten your lumbar muscles which is easy for them, and you close your lumbar joints, which is tough and can be painful on an irritated joint. So lean back. If you can't go very far, you've got a, a stiffness into lumbar extension, and that's a joint issue. Next are the same two movements, basically. We're going to lean side to side. When you lean to the right, so you're standing straight up, you drop your right arm down the side of your right leg. You should be able to get down. Your hand should go be able to go down to about your knee, give or take. If you struggle with this, now the, the delineation here between joint and muscle is going to be where do you feel the stiffness or the pain. If you feel the stiffness or pain on the same side you're going towards, so if I'm leaning to the right and I feel stiffness or pain on the right side of my spine, that's a joint problem because you're closing the joints on the right side of your spine and you're shortening those muscles. If you feel pain, stiffness, or tightness, on the left side of your spine while you're reaching to the right, so the opposite side you're going towards, that's a muscle tightness, okay? Because when you lean away from your left side, when you lean to the right, you open the joints on the left side of your spine and you stretch the muscles on the left side of your spine. And then you would do the same thing going to the left, with the same thing being true. When you lean to the left, if you're limited by pain or stiffness on the left side that you're going toward, that's a joint restriction. If you're limited with pain, stiffness, or tightness on the right side, the side you're going away from, that's a muscle tightness, okay? And then the last one is rotation because we always talk about the human body moves in three planes, and this is going to come into play later on. There's the sagittal plane, frontal plane, and the rotational plane. Sagittal is front and back, flexion and extension. Frontal is side to side, and rotational is rotation. That's, I think that's pretty obvious. So this one, very similar to the side bending. You're going to keep your feet still. Do not let your feet come off the ground. And you're going to turn and look behind you. And you should really be able to see well straight behind you. Okay? If one of your friends or family members is standing behind you, when you rotate, they should be able to see your opposite shoulder. So when you turn and rotate to the right, you should go far enough that they see your left shoulder if they're standing behind you. And same thing that if you rotate to the left, they should see your right shoulder. And then the same principles apply. When you rotate, 
If you're limited by pain or stiffness on the same side you're rotating toward, that's a joint restriction. If you're limited by pain or stiffness on the opposite side, that's a muscle problem. Okay? The reason these things are important. One, it's important to look at where your restriction is so you know what kind of stretches to do. But it's also to know how you're going to do the stretches. Muscles respond really well to, to longer hold hold times, static holds, holding for like 30 seconds at a time and doing about three reps. Joints respond better to repeated movement, only holding two or three seconds at a time, but doing 20 or 30 repetitions and not pushing through pain, I should say, especially when you're doing a joint because you're going to go into the movement that hurts. You're not going to go too far. You're going to go right to where it starts to hurt and come back. And you're going to hold it for two or three seconds and do it 20 to 30 times. That is what those two tissues respond best to. Muscles also tend to respond well to just soft tissue work, like a heating pad, a foam roll, Theraguns, you name it. Those things are going to give you temporary improvements. It's not going to last, but for 20 or 30 minutes, they'll loosen you up. That's really helpful because if you can do that soft tissue work first and then do your stretches and then do your strengthening, that then allows those changes to become more permanent. All right. So that's mobility work in a nutshell. And we're going to move on to the other thing that I said can predispose you to mechanical pain, which is weakness. The first thing I want to talk about in weakness is those three planes. You can be weak in your sagittal plane, flexion and extension, forward, backward your frontal plane, side to side, or rotation. If you're weak in one of those planes, you really want to exercise in that plane. Now, it's really hard to do an at-home assessment for which one you're weak in. So what I really like to do is every, any good exercise plan should have movements into all three plans, regardless of whether you have problems in those planes. So every good lower back or core program should have something in the sagittal plane. That can be sit-ups. That can be deadlifts, squats, lunges, pl good mornings, plenty of options. The frontal plane is a little harder to work, but there should be good exercises in the, in the frontal plane, your side to side, like teapots or farmer carries, things of that nature. And then especially if you're an athlete, you absolutely have to have strengthening in the rotational plane. Chops, lifts, medicine ball throws, things like that, payoff press. Because most sports have a heavy rotational component. That's how we generate force and torque with our body. So you really want to work in that plane. The other thing I like to think about when designing a lower back program is static versus dynamic movements. Static exercises are exercises where you stay still and something tries to move your body and you don't let it. That could be in the um, sagittal plane. That can be what I call straight arm pull down, where you stand with a band in front of you, you pull your arms down by your side, and you don't let your body move forward and backward. Depending on how you do them and how strict you are with your movement, some people would say that a Romanian deadlift or even a regular deadlift is still static because your lower back should be relatively still. That one can kind of go either way to me. With um, frontal plane, your side to side movements, that can be a farmer carry where you hold a weight in one hand and you simply just walk. And you don't let that weight pull you over to the side. In the rotational plane, that can be a payoff press where you grab a band or a cable and you stand with the band or cable anchored to your side. You walk out where you have some tension 
and then you just straighten your arms out in front of you. As your hands go out, that band or cable is trying to rotate your body and you don't let it. You get a nice, wide, strong stance, tighten your core with the weight anchored sideways, so it's pulling sideways, and you just push your hands straight out in front, hold for a couple seconds, bring your hands back. That's a very good static exercise in the rotational plane. The other type of exercise is dynamic strengthening. That is exercises where you are producing movement with your spine. In the sagittal plane, that could be like a Jefferson curl, or some people would say deadlifts, where you're actually moving forward and backward. Or a sit-up. In the um, frontal plane, that could be thing, something called a teapot, where you hold a weight by your side, and you bend to the side to lower it down, and then stand straight back up. Love that exercise. See more in a few minutes. And then in the rotational plane, that could be like a chop, or a lift, or a medicine ball throw. Things where you're rotating your trunk against resistance. Static exercises are typically thought of as more injury prevention safety exercises because you're preventing movement from happening. Dynamic exercises are typically thought of more athletic performance exercises because when you play sports, more often than not, your spine is moving, and this is teaching you how to generate force or power or torque with your trunk. Now, that's again, that's a bit of an oversimplification because both are good for both things. We need dynamic exercises to live our daily life. I would dare you to pick something off the ground without moving your spine. We also need static exercises in, um, in sports. Sometimes your core has to stay still against a moving object. So every good training program, as well as having exercises that involve all three planes, should also involve static and dynamic exercises. Okay, so that kind of covers mechanical back pain. Now I'm going to get into radicular back pain. So we talked about a couple, mainly three different types of radicular back pain. The first was directional preference. These are things that give you pain down your leg. And the pain is specifically worse with either moving into flexion or extension. So with a bulging disc, let's start with. That is, anytime you bend forward to touch your toes or sit in a chair, you get searing pain down your leg. That's a bulging disc. The way you treat bulging discs is by moving into extension. So the way I typically start people is I have them lie on their stomach for three minutes. Now, if it hurts to lie on your stomach, you can put a few pillows underneath your stomach to prop you up. And then every two minutes or so, take a pillow out until you get down flat. When you get flat, you're going to stay there for three minutes. After three minutes, you're going to prop up on your elbows. After another three minutes, you can prop up on your hands. After another three minutes, you can do what we call prone press-ups, which is kind of like a push-up, but your pelvis stays on the ground. So you lay flat with your hands at your shoulders, push your upper body off the ground, lower it back down, put your pelvis and legs stay down. You can also then stand up and just lean backwards repetitively. The goal for any directional preference exercise is centralization. Peripheralization is when, thing, is when nerves and discs get irritated. The pain, peripheralization is pain starts in the center and it moves out toward the periphery or further down toward your feet and feet or hands in your upper body. Centralization is when the pain moves from the front, from the periphery back centrally, which means the pain moves back to the middle of your spine. A way I explain this to patients when they're dealing with a directional preference or really any kind of radicular pain. If you started off and you had pain down to your calf and it was only a three out of 10, and you do an exercise for a few minutes, and now the pain only goes down to your thigh, but it's increased to a 5 out of 10, that's still a good thing 
because how far down the pain goes is more important than how bad the pain is because that is the pressure coming off of the nerve. Seems a little funky, but give it a try and I'm telling you it's going to work. The other directional preference we talked about was if you had a spondylolisthesis, which means you have pain with leaning backwards, that's relieved with going forward, okay? You can start relieving the pain by doing some simple flexion stretches, anything where your knees come toward your chest. So I like to have people lie on their back, start with pulling one knee to their chest at a time, hold it for 10 seconds, let it down, do it five times. I'll move them into a piriformis stretch where you still lay down on your back, knees bent, feet on, feet on the table or ground, wherever you're at. Cross one foot over your knee and then grab that knee and pull it across toward your opposite shoulder. That gives you a really good stretch down in the, like your, your kind of like, we call it your butt pocket, <laughs> the back pocket on your like pants. And it also moves you into flexion. And then you can also do a hamstring stretch where you lift your thigh straight up facing the ceiling and then kick up to feel a stretch in your hamstring. But it's also causing flexion in the lumbar spine. These are going to help alleviate the pain. And then you just want to get really strong. Again, your static exercises are typically where I start these patients because they need to control their core and control that spondylolisthesis. And then I will move them into dynamic strengthening. But I'm probably never really going to do a lot of extension-based exercises like throwing a ball backwards over your head um, because you don't want to get into that extension that's going to irritate a spondylolisthesis. That's an anatomical problem that's just there and it's not going away. Now, just because you have something like a bulging disc or a spondylolisthesis, does not mean you're always going to be significantly limited. All right. Most people, if they come in and do a lot of strengthening and do their therapy and do it well, go right back to doing everything they want to do. They just may have to continue doing these exercises for a long period of time, possibly the rest of their life, if it's something like a spondylolisthesis. But there is lots of research to show things like bulging, like a bulging disc specifically can go away. It typically takes about 18 months. You're in therapy for a month or two, three at the max, and you get rid of the pain and you get your core really strong. If you can keep your core really strong and avoid irritating that disc for about 12 to 18 months, your body can actually pinch off the, the bulging material and reabsorb it into your body. It's, it's wild, but it's been confirmed on MRIs. Um, really neat stuff. And then the last part, the last type part of particular pain was referred pain. That's just pain coming from an irritated muscle, tendon, or ligament. The big thing there is just find the irritated muscle and then work on stretching and strengthening that muscle because that's what muscles need to heal. Muscles need stretching, resistance, and compression. Some form of massage, Theragun, foam roll, something like that. But the big thing there is finding the muscle that's causing it and treating that muscle. Now, as always, again, if you have any of these issues and you work on this for two or three weeks, and it either doesn't get better, or if especially if it gets worse, the best thing you can do is go see a medical professional. Stop trying to treat it on your own. These things are just too complicated. Okay? Now, as promised, I'm going to give you three of my favorite core exercises that you can do at home today. The first is a bird dog. This is my personal favorite. It makes my back feel wonderful. If I start having back pain, it's usually because I didn't do this exercise in a while. I start doing it, pain goes away. All right. I have a mild instability. And so this really helps. A bird dog is you're going to get in an all, on all fours. You're going to be on your hands and knees with your lower back straight. To do the exercise, you're going to lift your opposite, you're going to lift your opposite arm and leg. So let's say left arm and right leg and lift them straight out at the same time. 
you kind of look like a bird dog pointing, you know, at a bird when they're hunting. So you're on all fours, you lift your right leg and your left arm straight out, hold for about three seconds, come back together, and then repeat with your other two. That's one repetition. The goal is to do this without letting your lower back arch down and without letting your trunk rotate as you lift. You want to hold everything very still. These are all over the internet. You can find these super easy. Three sets of 10 does great for strengthening your lower back. Another exercise I like is a teapot. We talked about that earlier. All you do is you hold something with some weight to it in one hand. So if I'm holding it in my right hand, I'm going to lean to the right like I'm lowering it down to the floor. Straight to the right, no rotation. No forward, no backward, straight to the right. I go down until I feel a little tightness in my back. Pause. Come right back up to the standing position. That's it. Do 10 times on your right, right side. Switch to your left hand. Lower it down to your left side till you feel a little tightness. Come right back up. 10 times on that side. Three sets of 10 does great. So, so far we've covered the sagittal plane with the bird dogs. We've covered the frontal plane with the teapots. Now we're going to do the rotational plane. Now my favorite rotational exercises are chops and lifts and uh, payoff presses. But I'm not going to cover those because those require either a band or a cable and not everybody has those at home. What I'm going to tell you to do at home is a Russian twist. To do this, you simply sit down. And if you have a weight from your um, teapot, you can use that same thing that has about five or 10 pounds of weight to it. If you don't have anything, you don't need anything. All you're going to do is you're going to sit down, sitting up tall on the floor. You're going to pick your feet off the floor so that the only thing on the floor is your butt. And you're going to rotate your hands to one side like you're going to put something on the ground. Then you come back and rotate to the other side. That's one. So if you're holding something in your hands, just rotate like you're going to tap the ground on each side of your body. Back and forth. Again, this is a super common exercise that's all over the internet. You can look it up if that doesn't make sense. That gives you rotation. So with those three exercises, you've got sagittal, frontal, and rotational planes. And you don't have to have any equipment, but anything around your house, a jar, a heavy book, you know, something like that can just give you a little something with some weight in it, and you can start with a really good lower back strengthening program that's going to work for most people right there. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you like the show, remember to either follow or subscribe based off your platform and leave me a five-star rating or review. I'll see you next time.